expectations they were going to get all this done, and they haven't. We were having a discussion with Nina Turner, of course, uh, of Bernie Land, and Jonathan Cott of Mansion Land here in the last hour. And Nina is, and I think she reflects a lot of progressives. She is very upset. She is very frustrated. She wants uh, President Biden to go fire up the jet and go after Kirsten Sinema and go after Joe Manchin. Jonathan Cott says, look, Democrats have things they can celebrate. But can they? I mean, do you think that they can go and celebrate ahead of the midterms their accomplishments successfully? It, it is hard to convince. Bernie Sanders himself gave that interview to the Garden the other day where he says the Democrats have simply failed and the Biden administration uh, needs a reset. Look, again, uh, to be fair to the president, he has a five seat majority in the House and a 50 50 zero room for error in the United States Senate. And the rules essentially say you need uh, 60 votes. So this is incredibly hard. We, as we beat up on Joe Biden on doing any of these big things is not easy. But he keeps saying he can get them done. He did allow these expectations to build. Uh, the challenge here, Brianna, is what happens in a midterm election, right? What happens in a midterm election when he needs Nina Turner and all the people who follow Bernie Sanders and Nina Turner progressives who are really mad right now? Uh, they wanted voting rights. They wanted the $6 trillion reconciliation bill that became the $3 trillion reconciliation bill that it now is nothing. Or at the moment is absolutely nothing. They wanted climate provisions. They wanted home health care help. They wanted more child care help. They have none of that at the moment. Do they vote in November? Do they vote in November saying we need to try again? Or do they say, you know, why? My vote doesn't matter. That's the problem, especially in the midterm, motivating younger voters, motivating disillusioned voters. A lot of them think, what has the government done for me in the last 25 years? Why should I participate? Well, Joe Biden needs every Democrat to participate again. Now, we have been surprised. Right now, all the data, all the history tells you the Democrats are in for a shellacking. Just remember, we have been surprised many times in recent years because of the volatility of our politics. And people have turned out, both for Trump and for Biden, in huge numbers when we thought maybe they wouldn't. A midterm year tends to be different, but we got a long way to go. Welcome, cats and kittens, to episode 16 of The Debrief. I am your host, Brianna Joy Gray, and what you just heard was a clip pulled by friend of the show, Case Study QB, uh, featuring Brianna Keeler uh, and a panel of folks on CNN asking, what is the left going to do in midterms? This is a question that has been percolating, not just because of this clip, not just because of polls. Uh, new poll numbers showing Biden at 33% approval rating, um, <clears throat> and not just because there was a political article last year, uh, last week, that asked the question, will there be a left challenger? And many voices on the left, including um, 2016 Bernie campaign manager Jeff Weaver, said unequivocally, yes, it's a question that's percolating because we talked about it on the last episode of Bad Faith Podcast yesterday. We let uh, release this episode uh, featuring two of my all-time favorite guests, Shama Sawant, Seattle City Council member who just won her recall election uh, in which uh, Amazon and all these corporate interests were solidly aligned against her, and Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist Chris Hedges. With the two of them, I asked this question, how should the left address the upcoming midterms in 2024, given that even these CNN panelists can see that is the point of leverage for the left. Should the left sit out midterms? The answer unequivocally was no. But when pressed on what the left should do in this moment, should they turn to a third party? Should they choose one of the third parties that's already been presented? MPP, Green, Forward Party? Should they be focusing on 
um, uh, ranked choice voting? Should they be focusing on a new party? Is the left going to have to corral around the candidate early in the game, or does it benefit the left by having a real robust primary of alternatives that perhaps could draw media attention and the way that a boring race with just Joe Biden and the usual suspects you know, might lose media attention? I don't know. These are questions that were broached uh, on the podcast episode, but those of you who have listened know that it got into the weeds. It was a granular conversation, and I'm hoping to continue to expand it with you guys here. And also, I want your feedback. Let me know what you thought about the discourse and what you think the left should be prepared to do to maximize its political capital, not just in midterm seasons this year, but for the longer game, 2024. I already see there's a queue. There's 60 of you in the chat. Let's start with Jehan. How are you doing, friend? I'm doing well, Bree. How are you? I'm doing quite well, thank you very much. What's on your mind? Here. Um, so look, I haven't heard you turn into like a super soprano since the episode with Ben Jealous and Professor Finkelstein. And, <laughs> you know, that's how I know bad faith is about to get real good um, <laughs> when you get passionate like that. So that, that was fun. Um, love my girl, um, Shama. Uh She's actually um, representing my district in Seattle, where I came mm. from. So super proud of her. Super You're proud lucky. Of that supports. Yeah, it's wonderful. Um, she actually is over the Central District, which is the historically black neighborhood in Seattle. So super cool. Mm. But do you think black people was voting for her? Hmm. Let's talk about that sometime. Oh, no time like the present. What do you mean by that? You think that the black it's a black district you're saying, but most of the people who come out aren't black? <sighs> yeah, it, it's definitely one of those situations. It's like where you're at the hood grocery store and like the people who are canvassing are like talking to, you know, old natives of the neighborhood and they're just like, mm, ah, I want all that socialism. And I'm like, uh-huh. but meanwhile, everyone's being gentrified out of here and mm. stuff is crazy. And like people can't rent nothing. People can't buy nothing. You know, classic. Mm. Um <laughs> Are you are you from the district? Do you grow yeah, up there? Yeah, I grew up there. And so what do your family members and you know friends from your youth think about Shama? Are they just unaware or are they actively turned off by the socialism label? I will say that people over a certain age, and I can even say like Generation X, like my, my big sister's generation, are generally turned off. Uh, the, the younger folks you know, are definitely behind her. Uh, but yeah, like the older, like my mom's generation, forget it. You know, they just, they really are programmed and they think that her takes on things are so radical. Some of them are, you know, upset about the uh, renter's rights struggles that were going on. And, you know, like for instance, my big sister actually, and this is something that you have to do to live in Seattle at this point, because it's so daggone expensive. You know, you got to rent out your basement, mm -hmm. <laughs> you mm -hmm. know? And I think that some of, and this is like a real critique, like I think that some of the things that some of the wins that renters have gotten, I, I could see being a good thing against, you know, big corporate renters. But when you're talking about people renting out their basement and this sort of um, renters rights that are going on, it can it can it can put a strain on everybody in a, in a certain sense. But overall, I think that it's good. All right. Well, we should have a whole episode about, and we, we touched on this a little bit uh, on an episode we did with Sue Weaver um, 
a couple months ago now, probably maybe a few months ago now where we talked about housing issues, but definitely something to keep one's eye on. But let me get your thoughts on the episode itself because I can see the queue is queuing today. So I'm going to try to be a little shorter with, with each person. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I'm I, I'm leaning towards uh, more of a third party more than ever than I ever like I have. I used to be a proponent for running, you know, both inside the Democratic Party and a third party. But now I think we need to be way more pointed in our efforts and uh, we can't afford to be scattered. Um, but will people ever really ever agree on that? Um I don't know, like, and you, it kind of bleeds into some of the stuff that you talked about, like what the left needs, like, for instance, you being a member of the left media apparatus, you know, what, what could like specifically someone like you do to help everybody come together, you know, all the shows, Crystal Kyle, Breaking Points, Mm -hmm. Katie, um, everyone who's out there, like to come together to agree on some basics that we're going to like back something, back some sort of strategy mm-hmm. that's really well um thought out what do you think about that yeah i mean my some of my frustration in looking at some of the feedback was this perception that i was advocating for something um <laughs> someone running on a democratic party ticket or, or not or did it as and my only concern is that something has to be decided upon because i agree with you i do think there's a lack of kind of decision-making and leadership and someone who can rally everybody around one choice. Because what's clear to me is that a diffuse non-choice where everyone's just kind of doing their own thing is nothing at all. And so the question becomes how to maximize the interests of the left on these moments, some of which are electoral as much as, you know, saying electoralism is not going to solve the world doesn't keep an election from happening. Okay. Right. So the election's <laughs> happening. It's coming. You like it or not. And you're you can say that you I would advise the left to just sit it out. That's a perfectly reasonable position to take. But that's not the ta- the position that either guest took. So that's why I pressed, all right. Well, if you don't think the left should sit out these elections, what should the left do in this electoral context? And talking about that doesn't preclude a conversation about all those things that have to be done outside of an electoral context, which I absolutely agree up on. We've had many, many shows about. But given that this is a conversation in a midterm year about midterms and given this news cycle that we've just had about third party candidates and given the long tail that needs to, you know, precede mm-hmm. a successful candidacy, I think it would behoove the left now to start talking about what it would be required, what 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 would be required rather to have a successful uh, third uh, left candidacy. Well, regardless of what party, I think your guests were correct in saying that it's a long game. I, you know, I don't, I really, and correct me if I'm wrong, anybody in the queue, you you know, I I just don't see us grabbing anything in 2022 or 2024. So do you think we should sit out 2022 and 2024? I don't, but. Well, then we have to have a conversation about it. So I'm going to go to the next person, (laughs) Jayhan, but like, I'm not getting stuck in that cycle again with you. I know. Everybody can stipulate. Wait, nope. I'm, I'm, I'm going to the next caller, but everyone can stipulate the fact that it's going to be a long game. If you say to me that we're going to, it's, it's a lot, organizing's going to take time, I will next you because everybody knows that and everybody understands that. But 2024 is two years away. 2022 is this year. That's what we're talking about. What are we going to do in 2022 and 2024? And if you think the answer is nothing, there's nothing we can do because we don't have enough time and we should all just sit on our hands and continue to binge watch Euphoria, that's a completely legitimate 
um, position to take, and that's fine. Go to your corners and do that. But anybody who thinks we should try to do something as hard as it might be to maximize the real elections that are right in front of us right now in 2022, year of our Lord, in 2024, come on board because we're talking about it today. Jesse, go ahead and unmute yourself. What's on your mind? Hey, Bree and everyone. I'm a first-time caller, but a long-time listener. Um, Welcome, Jesse. Thank you. Well, first of all, thank you so much for being one of the leading voices on the left. Um, oftentimes, your analysis and thought process mirror my own, so it's very validating to see that, and then it affirms uh, that a lot of people do think like this, which is important because a lot of us do feel politically homeless after mm. Bernie's 2016 and 2020 campaign runs. Mm. Um yeah, so I was a bit torn hearing some of the responses from uh, Shaman and Chris when you specifically asked them about what can an everyday person do right now in order to advance our cause. It seemed like they didn't really provide much answers other than, quote unquote, organizing, whatever that means, and to, <laughs> quote unquote, continue to fight. It took you a further prompting from you to get a semi-concrete answer from them. I know Shaman mentioned to join any local strikes and support them and to look at to look up socialist alternative. Chris did mention to vote third party mm -hmm. and quote unquote do the work, but not to go to brunch afterwards. Uh, but I do agree. I agree with that, but it doesn't really solve our immediate issues. What we could do right now in the context of the elections, the 2022 and 2024. I know uh, people are saying not to put much stock in electoralism, but yeah, I agree that electoralism can mobilize the left. Look at Bernie's campaign mm -hmm. it activated me politically and mm -hmm. that made me venture out to socialism, Marxism, learning that both parties suck, voting green mm -hmm. and to totally discount this is not really wise. Um, it's been, you know, a whole seven years since 2015 when Bernie first announced and Oof. where is our left infrastructure where is our organized base and institutions yeah. did we really sleep for all these years like here people say you know it takes time it takes energy but you know the house is burning and we don't have time like what do we what do we do yeah <laughs> and even if, if those statements about you know, it stuff taking time, you know, I don't object to them in and of itself, but I need the next sentence to be something beyond that or it comes, mm -hmm. it starts to come off. And I don't mean this with any disrespect, but it starts to come off as a platitude. Yes. Okay, things take time. Like, what am I a moron? Like, was I born mm -hmm. yesterday? Of course, things take time. Well, it's not going to happen tomorrow. Okay. At a certain point, I start to feel insulted. Because <laughs> mm -hmm. like, why are you saying this to me? Like, I'm an ignoramus. Like, Mm -hmm. Yes, correct. So we are here today to try to figure out what to do with the time that's in front of us right now. I don't have answers. And this is on me, too, because sometimes I think that guests feel like, you know, there's an obligation because they're in the guest seat to have a concrete answer. When sometimes I don't know would be the start of a much more pro uh, productive conversation than yes. a platitude. Because I don't know it opens the door to, okay, well, here are some ideas. Is is mm -hmm. running you know, we could have had a more robust conversation. Is running inside the party better or worse than having running outside the party? Okay, that's one one thing we could decide on because it looks like some people, I don't know if it's going to be Marianne, I don't know if it's going to be Nina Turner, I don't know if it's going to be someone we've never heard of before, it's going to throw their hat in the ring. As a collective left, do we want to encourage that person to go ahead and run outside of the party? Okay, if that's the tr if that's true, what do we need to do to support them? What's the status 
of ballot access right right now? And should that mm-hmm. person run just completely independent? Should they run as an MPP? Should they run as a forward? Well, there are things I like about what forward is doing to make it easier mm-hmm. for third parties to run in the longer term, right? Mm-hmm. But I understand that there's a lot of concerns about what it would mean to be a part of the forward party, given that Andrew Yang is so closely associated with it. And he has said some things that are not mm-hmm. very lefty. Right. right. So like I would like to be having those conversations as a community, because what I would hate to happen is someone announces who has potential. They run, let's say, as a forward party candidate. And because of that, because the left hasn't had a fulsome conversation about what the forward party is, who's behind it, what it means, whether that is corrupting in some ways, what are the standards? Did they take corporate money? Da, 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 da. Because we haven't had that conversation. Some, you know, leftist YouTuber says, eh, let's not support this person because they're associated with this thing. Mm-hmm. And then they don't get support and the left remains fractured and divided and fighting over the only candidate that possibly might emerge. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's a, yeah, it's a bit frustrating that we can't put our collective minds together and actually decide on one single thing. Like, yeah, it would be awesome if we like decided you, as a United front to support the, say the, the forward party, for example, and, and just put our collective energies there. But yeah, it, I, I don't know what the solution is. I think the previous caller did mention something about like having like an organized media apparatus and, mm-hmm. and having everyone, you know, I don't know, through, you know, you know, uh, backdoor meetings to, you know, talk to just to just to come up with something as a proposal and just propose it to the community. I think that would have been would be something cool to see. But Everyone seems to be doing their own things, but I, I don't know if it's human nature or if it's like if it's like a lack of willingness to do that or, or leadership. I'm not entirely sure, but yeah, definitely yes on all the things that you're saying. <laughs> well, thank you, Jesse. I appreciate you calling in. Thank you. Um, Free Assange, Chris is up next. What's on your mind, Chris? Hey, Bree. Good afternoon. You're starting earlier today. Yeah, I got a date at seven. <laughs> Good for you. I figured it was something like that, something important. <laughs> What's hey, on your mind? So, uh, I, you know, I listened to that podcast, and I'm probably going to listen to it again because it was just so packed with uh, with information, and just to not to uh, be overly uh, gratuitous to the host, but you really have a way of of uh, interviewing that's just so powerful, and that's why I'm a member of on your page on your patreon and why i listen every week thank um, you, chris i appreciate that well thank you for your work um you know i don't want to sit out 2022 i don't know what to do this year but you know we need we need more people it was really i'd love to see a a salant hedges or Sawant Gray ticket in 2024 and just to call back to like 1992 where Ross Perot I don't know how many people are familiar with it I'm only really familiar with it because my my uh, dad um, uh, volunteered on the Perot campaign in 92 but you know he was heading towards maybe winning and had to drop out in July when both parties dropped some like weird allegations about his family. And I don't remember the specifics. I was mm. about seven, seven at the time, but I mean, he still pulled 20% and in, in 92, which is amazing and essentially prevented HW Bush from, from winning a second term and putting Bill Clinton in office, which, 
you could feel whatever way about that. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so I think third party really is the way and, and forward party is dead to me. I mean, anybody who's leading a party who thinks that a, a ticket of, of Biden and Cheney is a good idea is a complete <laughs> loser to me and doesn't have my interest at heart at all. That is an absolutely abhorrent abhorrent idea and i just i really don't have many other words for it than that yeah it's frustrating i I will confess to having a weird soft spot for andrew yang and every time he does something like that it's like you know that um that uh, america's next top model gif that's like i was rooting i'm rooting for you i was rooting (laughs) for you and i don't understand why he doesn't seem to sometimes i think is it just like a deep naivete does he not understand the left does he not understand this kind of like top down 99, 1% politics beyond the sloganeering. Does he really think that like the goal is thinking outside of the box, as he said in that tweet, as opposed to actually having these, you know, very specific structural changes to our system that are directional. They're not just neutral, right? It's not just neutrally being creative. It's like directionally going toward greater equality. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I don't know what it is. I don't get it either. And, you know, I have a Congress person who's my congressman for currently and will not be after realignment, reapportionment this year. Um, I'll be in, in 10 bucks district uh, coming up. Actually, I live in Denver, but I keep my, my registration at my mom's house so I can vote in a more competitive district. But now it's, it's just going to be 10 bucks. But Jason Crow aligned with, with Liz Cheney and just, I just don't understand why any Democrat who calls himself. So, so if not forward, then um, would you, if you do want an independent candidate, just just as a placeholder, I'm going to use Marianne S and T because they're the ones that were referenced in that article. But this hypothetical Marianne S and T, would you want them to run up with a Green or MPP? So that conversation you had with 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 Hedges and Swant is like a little bit where I disagree with them, kind of. You know, Hedges says it is it never happens. It never works out in terms of starting in the Democratic Party just to get uh, up and going, which I think worked really well for Bernie in sixteen. And then I think if he had if he had ran as an independent, could he have won? It's hard to say. Uh, Hillary was so unpopular, and Bernie had so much uh, populism momentum behind him. Maybe he could have. He certainly was going to take a lot of votes from both. Uh, Trump and Hillary. And so, I, you know, I think there is something to say about starting the Democratic primary and and but like saying which you said, you know, I'm not I'm not committing to voting for the Democrat or for the for the nominee like Trump did in 16. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not into that. I'll, I'll I'm going to support who's going to fight for the people that are aligning with me. And that's what's most important. So, I, you know, hedges and and Kashama were both against that. And, you know, you pushed back a little bit and asked some good questions. And I think that there's something to be said about starting in the Democratic Party, just the way that things are set up now. I think any third party candidate gets marginalized instantly in this media. And, and you know, this kind of begs into a different issue and it gets a lot more complicated. But with the landscape of campaign finance and all of like, where do they spend all these billions of dollars that, that presidential candidates take in? They spend it at media corporations. So when a third party who has a lot less financial uh, uh, assets to, to spend in a, a cycle, 
they get marginalized in the media. So that's where I kind of think that maybe starting in the Democratic Party and trying to win, and then when you don't, and when you're cheated, as Bernie was both times, you pivot. Saying, you know what? I can't get in that. I'm I'm going on my own. I'm gonna do my own thing, and. and Kashama was right to push Bernie in 16 to run as an independent after after he got marginalized and mm-hmm. and he didn't and that's disappointing and you know we all have our soft spot for Bernie but there's also a place in I think all our hearts to critique him as well mm-hmm. and that is a strong critique for Bernie but it's it's really complicated and I don't know which way fully to go but I do think yeah. that there is something to say about starting in the in the Democratic primary and then... Yeah, it was interesting to me that no one wanted to entertain that. And the reason why was they said, well, the Democratic Party will marginalize them. And I'm like, okay, well, they're going to get marginalized. Like, to your point, both of you are very astutely pointing out that if you were a genuine outsider candidate, you were going to get throttled. You're going to get throttled either way. So the question isn't, are you going to get throttled? It's which, which lane offers you the most opportunity? And not just the most opportunity to win, but also the most opportunity to do the... Um, kind of movement part of these races, which to many, which many people have pointed to already, which is that, you know, the fact of Bernie running in 2016 radicalized so many folks and introduced so many people to ideas and moved the Overton window. So having a platform, being on the debate stage, getting access to a certain amount of funding, being on the ballot, those kinds of things really make a difference, especially if you have this, you know, pessimistic view that the person isn't going to win anyway, which is not a tact I think one should take. But thank you for that, Chris. I'm going to go ahead and move on and ask you, Clifford. Uh, what's on his mind? What's on your mind, Clifford? Hey, hey, Bree. How you doing? Oh, I, I'm doing all right. How are you doing? Quite well, thanks. What did you think? Um, I really liked the episode, and I really liked basically that tension that you were just exploring only seconds ago. I was really glad that you pressed that. Um, I, I guess I definitely am in your camp as far as uh, like these things take time being like kind of a non-starter for me because it's like, it's almost like we, we have like six years or something or less now to really like act on anything in regards to climate right. and to be, and to be saying, well, we've got to build something that's going to be this long overarching movement. It's just like, can you imagine if people had said that to like people who were upset at George Floyd's death? You know, like it's like, well, it would take years to build something, you know, and then all right, of a I mean, like have- Loki, they do- <laughs> you don't even have to say anything. You just ignore people and they go away in this country. Right. Exactly. So I, I'm but I'm almost like I, I totally uh, I don't I think because there's so many callers, I, I had this long thing prepared where I was going to kind of like share some of my circumstances and why I keep pushing this thread. And just so to avoid like any frustration on your part, because I know I'm kind of uh, always, you know, not advocating for or like it's not that I have any I'm not advocating for abdication of electoral politics by any stretch but I'm always just saying that like we for example when when I see a comment thing uh, or like a topic that you're choosing that's like like we're going to talk about the candidate for 2024 I'm thinking like oh no that's like three more years or you know two more mm-hmm. years basically before that yeah. would that one person would have any effect on policy and then even then they would be going up against you know like right now you probably heard about this supreme court decision mm-hmm. it's just like like congress like every all the lefty people that i like hear their narr- the people with platforms are all saying like 
man, everything's broken, everything's so dysfunctional, like, we can't get anything done, like, and then, and then they talk about, like, oh, okay, like, who are we going to elect, what strategy are we going to have, and I'm over here just like, holy shit, like, like, the thing that I just really, the only big takeaway, because I'm sure so many people want to say their piece, uh, and I'll call in a different time, but, um, the only big thing is, like, I feel like you, uniquely of the people that, like, I am exposed to, like, in social media and whatnot, like, kind of press these points in, like, a, a almost dispassionate, sometimes dispassionate and, like, really uh, nuanced kind of critical thought way that I just thought that, like, maybe, like, you're always hitting this brick wall of people just saying, oh, well, organize. But, like, I feel like you would be someone who, and I've said this before, but, like, someone like Extinction Rebellion, someone where there's, like, a little bit more of, like, these are our demands, these are our methods, and exploring the methods and exploring, like, like giving an equal voice to, you know, 50% electoral, 50% direct action and, mm-hmm. uh, and, like, real concrete strategies of, like, hitting the 1% in their wallets. Because it's, like, everyone knows like I do a bunch of stuff for like my state of Maine. I'm going around collecting signatures for a, a universal healthcare mm-hmm. initiative, and the like. I get as many Republicans as I do anyone else because mm-hmm. the number one core thing. And I'm using like the advice that you had on an episode. I'm like, hey, you know what the number one expense for small businesses in Maine mm-hmm. is? Is healthcare. So I'm just like, you want to help small businesses, right? And they're like, well, yeah, duh. And I'm just like, and literally, like, if there was a party that was just like the fuck elites party, like they would win. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's just like, it's because that's what everyone's talking about. Like, it seems like everyone agrees that it's like, we need to storm the Bastille, but it's just like, and I'm not even advocating for that. I'm literally just saying like, let's, let's uh, obscure their profits. Let's do mass disruption to hurt their profits and see how long it takes. Remember that a boat that blocked that canal? It's just like, Mm -hmm. how long did it take for people to, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But that's that's me done. But no, you put yep. a big smile on my face, Clifford. One, I love to hear that anything on this said on this podcast had any kind of real world application. It, it warms my cold dead heart. Um, but also, I, I you know this question of you know just the the fuck the elites party. In some ways, that's why I can't quite get forward out of my mind because even though you know. Yang be frustrating like that is ostensibly what he has set up and I think he imagines like libertarians being able to run on the forward line too right and there's something very frustrating about that but also sometimes they think well people run on the Democratic Party ticket Bernie ran as a Democrat and they say a million and one terrible horrible things every single day and I didn't presume that was gonna infect Bernie and I don't know like there is a part of me that has a little bit of confidence in Yang's ability to publicize stuff and his ability to have a a structure, like a well-funded, organized structure that's not kind of um, institutionally vulnerable and poorly run. And maybe that's a false confidence. I'm putting in him as a quote-unquote businessman. That's completely ridiculous, and I just need to get slapped. But I do think there is something to the idea of a new party that doesn't have um, a history of very, very clearly partisan, uh, a clear partisan affiliation, Republican or Democrat, that can allow for people who do have that instinct, that kind of, you know, populist instinct, the screw the elites instinct, to find a candidate that is perhaps to the left of where they normally would have been, but they wouldn't have paid attention to them because they got like tagged, tarred with the big D Democrats. I don't know. I appreciate you calling in and I appreciate all the work you're doing up in Maine. 
Thank you, Clifford. All right, Ahmed, you're up next. Unmute yourself when you're ready and tell us what's on your mind. Uh, hi, how are you, Brianna? I'm doing well, thanks. Okay, so uh, I'm not from the United States. Obviously, I'm from uh, the other part of the world, but I'm interested. <laughs> the other part? The what other part? <laughs> okay, I'll send you a DM, right? Okay, so I'm interested in politics and uh, philosophy, and I'd like to share something about third party because uh, there is th the most recent uh, successful attempt to break to the two party political system is uh, it came from Pakistan, mm. and uh, I prepare something. Just it's you can there is a valuable lesson there, so. I, I have no problem if you just have just a minute or so. So I go sure. through. Okay. So uh, let's talk about Imran uh, Imran Khan, which is a, a cricket player. And he, uh, at the age of 16, 16 he started playing uh, first class cricket. And at the age of 18, that is uh, in 1971, he be he start his uh, international career in England, so he went there and I think he studied in Oxford. He studied politics and economics. Right. Uh, anyway, he he has this successful career, and he uh, led uh, Pakistan to win their first and only uh, World Cup cricket World Cup in uh, nineteen ninety two, and he. Uh, become a national hero for Pakistan, mm. right? And just at, the, at that time, the, the Pakistan political system is just do, uh, controlled by two parties. The Pakistan uh, People's Party, which is a social uh, center-left socialist party, and the Pakistan Muslim League, which is center-right conservative party, right? And they just... Uh, th it's just doubly, right? So in 1996 or 97, he, he, he started after retirement and he was, he has this celebrity status in Pakistan and he's a, a national hero for them. So he started a new party, which is a movement, Pakistan Movement for Justice, right? And he ran for the election that year and they couldn't win any seat at all. The next election was 2002. The party won only one seat, which, is, was, which was Imran Khan's seat. And his party was uh, bubblist, anti-elite, anti-establishment, anti-corruption uh, party, right, platform. Mm -hmm. So he used his uh, seat in parliament to grow to grow his uh, party and he held rallies and uh, lit caravan and do, do, did a little stuff. One thing in particular is uh, I think in, uh, in nine, uh, 2013 they won uh, 35, uh, 35 seats in parliament but just one year later <laughs> Imran Khan alleged that there was a, uh, the election was rigged, and he led the caravan of his supporter to the capital, right? And they entered the mar march into the red zone, 
with the protester and some of them tried to storm the prime minister official residence. Violence outbroke and I think three people uh, killed and uh, 900 people injured, including some police officers. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, I think the, the business of the government stopped for, for two, two days or something like that. Mm-hmm. Just after that, maybe one month later, he also called for uh, civil disobedience in protest to the rising price of the electricity. So he burned his utility bill and mm-hmm. called everybody to join him. Right? Mm-hmm. In the next election, which is 2018, they successfully won the election and became the biggest party in the parliament, and he became the prime minister. And there is a lot of things that happen, and I know that every country has its special case. But one thing I see there for the, for the American to take lesson is celebrity status uh, has some benefit. Mm-hmm. Right? If you have LeBron James running for Senate office, uh, Senate seat in Ohio, I think... If, uh, if he's bubbler there, I, I I think if he has the good platform, he has a, a right. Uh, he he will ha- has a a good shot of that, right? Yeah, it's difficult to argue against that when we've just had Donald Trump become president. We had Ronald Reagan become president. You know, and when you say something like that, you know, I bring up on the podcast frequently. You know, how can we maximize? You know, Bernie's popularity among pop stars, you know, Cardi B's. And I looked at a poll the other day that said Ariana Grande, I think, is the fifth most followed Instagram account. I don't know if you ever even tweeted about Bernie more than one time he crashed her concert, you know. And whenever I raise the utility of, you know, capitalizing on celebrity interest and celebrities' platforms or even a celebrity running, I feel like the response is pretty dismissive. And they're big brains, the, the knowledgeable folks you know, who've been reading all of the books think that that is, you know, you're looking for a shortcut. And I got to say, that's intended as like a criticism. Like there are no shortcuts. But like, honestly, if you're not looking to expedite things, it's I feel like low key unethical. Like shit's going down to Clifford's point. Like things are bad. (laughs) And you should be looking for every opportunity to light a spark. That's available to you. And that's not to say you don't do the other things. These are not mutually exclusive projects. But as someone who isn't an organizer, who's a podcaster in a home, who does sometimes have access to the people, maybe celebrities and other things like that. Not really, but, you know, uh, occasionally, you know, Talib Kweli will follow me on Twitter or something. You know, that's what I'm focused on because that's my lane, not because I don't think the other stuff is more important. And I don't understand why we can't embrace that multi-pronged approach and recognize the potential gains that could come from being able to activate all of these folks who really are already on our side. Look, I'm, I'm looking at Twitter right now and Emma Watson and um, Susan Sarandon are tw- trending because of their support of Palestine. And that's probably more than, you know, the most, the average American is going to be thinking about Palestine for the next two months. Yeah. I, one thing just, I want to just highlight, right? Mm-hmm. Imran Khan, when he was international Blair and he was in the UK, he was notorious for being a playboy. He he mm-hmm. kind of person that appear on the cover of a magazine mm-hmm. shortlist with uh, beautiful European girls or models, right? <laughs> but 
And that, if you look at Pakistan, which is conservative country, that anybody who tell you that that person is done. Mm. But he actually he came back to Pakistan. He built uh, cancer uh, charity can, uh, cancer hospitals using his celebrity. One of the famous footage is him and uh, Princess Diana visiting that hospital just month month before he, her death. Mm. So you can't he he anyone can can turn things around if he has because you, you don't have to spend time telling people this is my candidate and who uh, what his name and what he stand for the media will do that for you if he is celebrity mm-hmm. yeah i i'm with you and thank you for that example i really appreciate appreciate that perspective ahmed okay thank you thank you keep the faith all right a what's on your mind unmute yourself when you're ready Hi, Brianna. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good. I'm a second-time caller, a long-time listener, calling in from India. Mm, welcome and, back. Thank you. Uh, yeah, and before I begin, I want to shout out one of your listeners, Brian June. Last time I was on call in, I had mentioned that because of some harebrained new financial scheme in India, uh, any recurring credit card payments are kind of getting blocked. So my Patreon subscription had gone to shit. Mm. So he was kind enough to share his login details, and hence I've been able to listen to oh, your premium. Brian, content. Brian is an all-star. That's so. <laughs> that's so nice. Yeah, it was super nice. So yes, yeah, so so coming to, I do have. Uh, I'm gonna. Uh, I do have a side I'm weighing in on, but I'm gonna sort of hold off on that to. Um, get there in a slightly long-winded way, please. Sorry, bear with me. It sure. is 3.30 a.m. here. Oh, my so, goodness. <laughs> um, so, uh, Shama, Shama made passing reference to sort of, uh, you know, the multi-party system in India and how that kind of doesn't deliver the results one would expect from a multi-party system. And she's absolutely right about that because, you know, we conceived as a socialist country, but when we got independence from the Brits, we have, like, plenty of state-level parties. We have a Marxist party in the East. We have some sort of social welfare-oriented parties down south. And uh, at state levels, you know, people manage to sort of get some power. But at the national level, what has always been the case is uh, parties kind of form a coalition. And what we actually have in India is coalition to a two-party coalition system. And it's very comparable to what you guys have in that one's both are neoliberal and one's also more neo-fascist. Although in our case, actually, I mean, the radicalization is so much that both are quite tending towards neo-fascism. And we've never really had a serious contender at the national level. Um, in fact, in uh, 2014, it was like a rarity where it didn't take a coalition for the BJP to come into power as an individual party because it ran an extremely sort of Trumpian candidate built around one messiah figure and, you know, dog whistling to sort of Islamophobes and so on and so forth. So in sort of in that context, the only um, hope that like I what's happened in my lifetime is that in the capital city of Delhi in uh, like in 2012 or 11, 12, there were these mass protests that were for, like, which is a rarity. They were actually converted to some kind of electoral energy and a party was born. And it was like exactly what Clifford said. It was a fuck the elite party. In fact, mm. it's, its election symbol was a broom because it was like we're going to clear out the trash and mm. the corrupt people. 
and there was like there was so much momentum behind it that it you know it uh, sort of prevailed in the next delhi elections and i was i mean it broke that sort of stronghold of the parties in delhi and it's been in power ever since and more recently it kind of beat a very strong challenge from the bjp at delhi and kept its kept its position but um i mean and so, like this is kind of unrelated what i'm going to say but it it did end up sort of leaning into soft what we call soft hindutva or like you know dog whistling the hindu first message because the country so radicalized that i assume that's kind of where it thought it would get its vote base as because now it's you know it's become an establishment party of its own kind but what i remember is back when there was all that momentum and everyone voted for it is that um the sort of groundswell of support for it kind of created a bandwagon for many people to jump on because i think like people when voting also want to back a winning horse mm-hmm. and it it kind of was it was very apparently a very strong contender it was very evident there was a strong contender so i think that i mean of course like the initial first adopters were people who were engaging with its proposed policy plan but the it there were enough of those that i mean there was the protest behind it that many people just came onto the bandwagon that we'd want some change and this looks like it's mounting a very serious campaign and so i was just uh, in the episode i was when they were i mean i thought shama and chris were prevaricating quite a bit on the question of they seemed to agree that there could be a two pronged electoral non electoral approach but they weren't elaborating on the electoral approach mm-hmm. and i was wondering that can i think of based on this example oh sorry the party i'm talking about in delhi is the aam aadmi party which translates to the common man party so mm-hmm. i was thinking based on this example that is there any downside any you know that one we in conversation could come up with two running soon and be one that i thought of like to run in your upcoming midterms and so on and the downside that i thought of was that while people who are on the left perhaps are you know gain optimism and hope from bernie's like how he moved the overton window and all his wins someone who is sort of more on the fence might actually just be gaining pessimism from the fact that he lost and um if you know without sort of some kind of grassroots work which could mount a very serious campaign per do you think it's possible that one runs the risk of losing again which is obviously very likely because the odds are stacked and could that loss kind of hurt any hope and because people might it make might make people more cynical more pessimistic and they might revert to less sort of two evils kind of voting you know i i i'm not a psychologist and i can't you know predict the future but my feeling is that people don't lose hope because you lose you lose hope because people didn't try and that's what we're seeing right now with biden and his improve, approval ratings there's a perception that biden didn't fight and that democrats don't fight and that they promise mm-hmm. the same thing year after year and they win they get into office Sometimes they even have like borderline super majorities in Congress or super, you know, Obama had ostensibly 60 votes mm-hmm. and then still nothing happens. There's a unwillingness of Joe Biden to use these executive orders. There are things he could do. Right. And so uh-huh. the, the, the thing that demoralizes people and is driving people away from the Democratic Party and, and, and the Republican Party and increasing numbers of independents and all of the trends that we've seen over years, lack of confidence in government isn't mm-hmm. that people just run and lose. Bernie ran and lost in 2016. Everyone was more than happy to get right back on board again in 2020. Mm-hmm. So I I personally, I think that sometimes um, media figures on the left are obsessed with seeming like winners and obsessed with not seeming hopeful or genuinely personally invested because their egos can't take the hit 
for the average person, you know, Republicans mm-hmm. ran and lost for, for years, you I know, understand. when third grade mm-hmm. liberalism was successful through the 90s. You know, like they had mm-hmm. they we've all, each side has had a losing streak and it hasn't caused either party just to roll over and say, never mind, we're not doing this anymore. And mm-hmm. so I don't know why that wouldn't be the same for a third party, especially given the understanding that the there's such an uphill battle. You know, I think part of why no one held Bernie's loss against him in 2016 on the left because there was a perception that it was rigged. It, like a, some of it wasn't even his fault. Obviously, there's some parts of it. You know, people have to take accountability for their failures in a campaign. But, you know, some of it wasn't even his fault. Mm-hmm. And so I personally am not worried about setting the movement back, as it were, mm-hmm. by because a candidate does not win. And I think that attitude is like super destructive in politics as it is in life. Like I can't imagine telling a child like never try anything because if you lose, you're going to be a big loser. Like what? Yeah. Like that's, mm, that's terrible. <laughs> I just have one quick follow up, which is mm-hmm. that uh, like my understanding of what I consume of American media is that it's, you know, like centrists and your, you know, elite libs, etc. latch onto the fact of the loss as proof positive that, you know, this utopian stuff just is useless. Mm-hmm. And so I'm wondering, uh, but but what I, I guess I gather from leftist media is that we don't need their votes. We just need to turn out more of the left. And if that's the case, then I completely agree with you. Well, so the lip, the liberal media is going to paint you as losing because you're too far left regardless. They will, mm-hmm. they do that even though there's nobody, like Hillary Clinton's out there saying that right now. These articles are being printed right now. And it's like, who, who just like, who are you even talking about? There's not even like a campaign. Like you're just making stuff up. Like uh-huh. your guy in Virginia just lost hardcore and he's the most neoliberal POS that ever existed. Like mm-hmm. you guys, like they will just say it. They will just say anything. So again, like the same, you know, if, if Shama and um, Chris want to make the argument that, you know, it, it's an uphill battle and it's hard and it's going to take a long time and they're going to attack you. If you run as a third party, they're going to attack you. If you run as the Democratic Party. Then okay, they're gonna attack mm. you here either. It, it's it's the same. It's the same thing. And that whether or not your enemy does something shitty cannot dictate your your yeah. your program. Like mm. you cannot be reactionary. What you Go should ahead. do though to convince to, to people people from being demoralized is make it clear why it is you actually lost. And this is arguably something that Bernie didn't really do is to say no, they rigged this shit. Mm-hmm. And you see how hard they come down on him when he says stuff like that too. Oh, he's delusional. He's insane. He thinks that things yeah. are rigged. Well, no, they say that because they know how 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 I think Easy that affects people. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, like if Bernie if Bernie calls out the truth of what happened, it makes them look terrible, and they cannot tolerate that. The same way, all of these Democrats in 2016 were talking about how Trump rigged the election against Hillary Clinton. And now when the Trumpers say it, they act like, oh, my God, you guys are being, you know, you're insurrectionists. You don't believe in democracy. There's a crisis of democracy, yada, yada, yada. But I was listening to Pod Save America this morning and they were talking about um, some of the voting reforms that are in this now combined voting bill. That's the John Lewis and the other one into one big voting rights bill. And um, one of the things is making it um, impossible for the vice president to invalidate the election like it doesn't come to the vice president because there's a concern that if it were trump then pence could have just done a thing whatever and so one of the other one of the hosts asked well are we concerned about taking the power away from the vice president because what if it's a democratic vice president and we want her to invalidate the election 
So mm-hmm. like the Democrats are doing the exact same thing, right? Like, I mean, yeah. and that's not like a value judgment, but like, I think at the end of the day, it's important for us to realize that there's an enormous amount of power. The left is the only only people who feel like beaten down out of saying things were stolen from us, even when it's true. I could remember when I had Ari Robinhoff on the podcast. Nobody will really talk about what happened in Iowa. Mm, yeah. You know, no Bernie, no one really talks about things being rigged. Zephyr Teachout writes an article during the campaign about how Joe Biden is corrupt and mm-hmm. B- Bernie walks it back. Like it, those those are sensitive tension points because they are effective. Those are effective modes of attack. When people feel like they're cheated, like they rebel and they don't want yeah. the left to rebel in that way. Yeah, and obviously Bernie is particularly incapacitated because he run, ran as a Democrat. So that's another argument in favor of an independent. Okay, I'm a convert. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for calling in, and I hope you can get some sleep. Yeah, thank you. All right. Uh, Anna, darling, you are the next caller. Unmute yourself and tell me what's on your mind. Hi, Bree. Um, yeah, I'm a first-time caller, and I'm way too shy for this, but I appreciate you taking my call. <laughs> no, I'm glad to hear you. I say it all the time, and I don't, again, want to presume anybody's you know, gender identity, but it tends to be a little bit of a sausage fest in here, and so I oh, appreciate your energy. Yeah, I almost said something. I'm happy to break up the sausage <laughs> fest slash Bree fan club. Um, well, no, but I'm part of the Bree fan club, but you know what I mean. <laughs> um yeah, no, it's funny you you just said I'm not a psychologist, which um, led to like the question that I wanted to ask was um, I'm a psychologist psychologist in training. I'm in a um, doctoral program for psychology, and uh, I'm uh, feeling like there is maybe a lack of a more uh, psychological analysis when it comes to strategizing on the left, mm. and. Um, yeah, and I guess I'm curious about what you think about that because it seems to me that there are these, um, you know, I, I think, I don't know, you don't want to get to, I, th- I think that um, maybe the culture of psychology is so individualized in our uh, country or maybe just in general, um, but that it really does uh, help understand ideologies and certain things that have been internalized um, through culture and society that do inhibit our ability to work together. Yeah. So I sometimes fantasize that if I were ever running some big campaign and there was all of this money sloshing around, one of the things that I would absolutely love to do is have a team of psychologists and nothing but these little panels. Yes, polls, you know, all that stuff. But these little like five, 10, 20 person roundtables where you ask questions that can get a better sense of not just what the poll question is. Are you for or against democracy or what's your number one priority, but uh-huh. get, get more color um, than the polls really reflect. And you can, cause you can tell from how people are talking, how it is they're thinking, not just what they think they think, you know, and what motivates people. And that's part of what I like, why I like to do these interviews in the podcast and ask people, you know, especially people who have, changed in their political views from being a Warren supporter to a Bernie supporter or a conservative to a Democrat, things like that. What it was that motivated you and what it was that changed you? Because I agree with you that social psychology has a lot to offer here. I wrote an article about the politics of shame years ago in current affairs. And I, I I wrote that article because I had been reading some, you know, psychology paper that I was applying to whatever relationship had just ended in my life. (laughs) 
<laughs> and it was talking about how some people just can't constructively process, you know, their bad behavior and they can only do it through shame, which is this like, as opposed to guilt and shame is totalizing shame. If you, uh, shame makes you think your whole personhood is bad. And so you're mm-hmm. unlikely to really recognize that you did anything wrong because you basically have to just like throw yourself off a cliff or as guilt says you did a bad thing. You're not a bad person. So you can reckon with that and grow and change and be better. And I was, I was thinking about that and my ex, I was thinking about, um, you know, politics and how so much of what the Democrats do is all of this shaming and how dare you. And you're an evil person if you don't put on a mask and you don't deserve health care if you're unvaccinated and all of this stuff. And it's not a value judgment. There's people who in my ha- head, I want to shame them, too. Like, I find your there to be shameful Ku Klux Klan member. <laughs> but that's a different conversation to how do I get the political outcome that I want? And it's very obvious that shame isn't the way you do it. So I'm 100% with you. And if you have any insights or suggestions as to people who we should talk to on the podcast to that end, I would love to hear about that. Yeah, I'm absolutely with you on that as well, that shame is doesn't work. We should definitely use it if it we would we should definitely use it if it does work, but it doesn't. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, well, so I'm kind of in, you know, the nascent stages of like research and stuff for um, dissertation. But um, actually, what's been really helpful is like um, a more like uh, what it's like. There's so many different schools of psych, but there's um, one called like relational psychoanalysis and also hermeneutic, which is um, which is just about like um, which pushes against like liberal individualism in a re- in a way that's been really important for uh, for me is just as far as conceptualizing kind of what some of our problems are. And it's just this idea, because I think actually therapy and and the psychology, uh, culture of psychology really encourages us to think that we are like these isolated um, uh, monads, you know, (laughs) like, um, Mm. and that like, our true self is something that we have to extract from like deep within when really like, uh, who we are is created in relation to one another. You know, and like meaning and truth comes about in relation to one another. And it's not something that we just like had before we ever had a world around us or people in our lives. So, Mm. um, yeah. uh, So I guess I I find that helpful because I think that people I mean, I I think that especially in liberalism, there's this idea that we have like these um, issues as individuals that we need to like correct we need to like use the right language or we need to fix these um, kind of intrapsychic evils and that that's somehow going to lead to progress you know and that's something that I really want to um, push back against you know yeah you're, I mean you're making me think a lot about um, Marianne Williamson again <laughs> and <laughs> this appetite people have for finding the words to, I think, express themselves or finding some kind of outlet to exist outside of the self, especially because of COVID, which has ratcheted individualism into the 11th gear. Oh, definitely. And, you know, I think all the time about how isolated I personally feel, even though like I'm, I'm on the internet and it's, you're simultaneously feeling inundated by all these people and also extremely solitary. And I, I like I haven't actually scheduled whatever Monday's episode is going to be yet. And I and I had this thought earlier today that like I just want to talk to someone who's nice. I just want to talk to someone <laughs> who's nice to me. <laughs> I just want to have a nice chat that has no conflict in it whatsoever. <laughs> and just it, I want to be nice. 
and how difficult I was like going through my Rolodex in my brain and I like, literally couldn't think of anybody who would just, oh my goodness. It'd be, it'd just be nice. And like that, was, I was like, shit, like what am I doing with my life right now? And so I, I think that people on, on a bigger scale are thinking about it a, a lot. Um, and I, and I think that that is part of why we have the rabid um, factionalism that happens in politics because there's no externalized spiritual life at all. Yes. Yeah. Freud said that we need psychoanalysis because uh, we've lost community and God is dead or something like that. Yeah. I, <laughs> right? I don't I don't feel like I have a sense of community. And that's part of why I think I bristle a little bit, too, when not bristle, but I become frustrated when, you know, people I respect so much like Shama and Chris Hedges, you know, say, you know, we have to organize it. I don't have a community to organize. Yeah, that's most and, people. Well, I don't know about most people. Most well, people in yeah. my community, I should say. Right. And that's that's because, you know, like as I spoke about in a recent episode, that's my own like class status and a lot of other things that are particular totally. to me that are create that are causing that to be the case. You know, right. I live in a big city in a tall building in a little cube and that that's on me. But I it's also just true. And this is my lane, and I know that I'm not the only one in this lane. And I know that people you know, who listen to this are probably disproportionately like me as well. And so maybe instead of the word organized, maybe, you know, community would be more helpful because I would love someone to come on and give me tips, give us all tips about how we can create community in our own life. I remember thinking in 2016 when I was going to vote for Jill Stein, I was living in the West Village and what is ostensibly a progressive area, although not Jill Stein progressive. And I lived in like an eight unit walk up, like a walk up. And I had never spoken to any of my neighbors. And I lived there for like probably four years at that point, three or three or four years at that point. And I remember thinking nothing is stopping me from knocking on these doors and telling them to vote for Bernie and then Jill Stein and the general. Like nothing is stopping me. Mm-hmm. But it felt so weird that on my own, not part of some canvassing team or anything, I would just randomly start knocking on their doors and being like, hey, have you thought about Bernie? Absolutely. But like, duh, like that's what we like. I lived next to these people for years. I see the old lady upstairs with a little white dog. There's a woman about my age across the street who looked like she was also like a lawyer or something. You know, like, and, and it just, the, the those artificial barriers became like very visible to me in that moment. And I thought a lot about why it was that I felt so constrained. Hmm. I cared about this thing so much. I just started this random podcast with my best friend so I could talk about this thing. Bernie, 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 Bernie. And I couldn't even bring myself to knock on my next door neighbor's door. Hmm. Yeah, because you didn't feel like support behind you or something. Yeah, I didn't feel entitled. I I felt like I needed permission or something. Hmm. And there were other things I wanted to talk to them about, too. Sometimes I'd be like, oh, I'm going to have my one or two parties a year. I want to get in the morning. I want to invite them over. I want to let them know that it's not going to go too late. I want to apologize for the noise, you know, <laughs> other things that come up that I would want to talk to them about. I remember thinking, oh, I wonder how they've laid out their furniture. Don't, don't you have that as an apartment dweller? I'm always like so desperate to go up and down the same block, you know, the <laughs> same like number block. You know, if I'm 412, I want to go to 512 and 612 and 712 and see how they've laid their stuff out, see if I can get any <laughs> ideas. Like all of these things I like, run through my head and I just will never do them. Because we don't have a blueprint for how to do community in this like modern world that we live in. Totally. Yeah. Um, yeah, I feel that there, there are these barriers. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you calling and, and, and 
taking the conversation here. Um, sure. If I think of any like names, it's it's funny because a lot of these psychologists like um, that are are left leaning are just uh, kind of like not around anymore. I don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> At least the stuff I've read. But like, um, yeah, I might put something on the Patreon chat sometime. To see Thank that. you. I appreciate that. And maybe yeah. I can get Marianne to chat with me for Monday. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I'm thinking about it. She's nice. Maybe yeah, Marianne is very, very nice. I love me some Marianne. Maybe I can get Marianne to sit around and talk about spirituality and my feelings for Monday. Yeah. Well, I hope your uh, <laughs> date tonight is also nice. Yeah. Well, we'll see. <laughs> I'm sorry. I should be a little bit more optimistic about these things. We'll see. We'll see. I'll check you out of the next call in. <laughs> Thank All you, right. Hannah. Thanks, Bree. All right, Steve, you are the next caller. Unmute yourself and tell me what's on your mind. Hello. Hello. Can you hear me clearly? Very much so. What's on Very your mind, Steve? So. so this is, I am a first time caller, long time follower. So is there a, a hard rule for sticking? I, I don't think there is from based on what I've heard. I'm not sticking to the topic. No, what's, what is no. on your mind? Well, I'm going to give my thoughts on the topic and then move on to my main reason for calling, which is an idea that I believe will absolute of mine that will, I believe will absolutely galvanize the left. Okay. But well, see, keep in off, mind that there's, you know, a lot of people in this queue. The queue has never okay. been this long before. So, so just if I'll you can try to keep it concise. All right. Concise. All right. I can do that. Well, you don't abandon electoralism. Electoralism is a tool like anything else. Hmm. It is, it's a part, it's a part of the organizing toolbox. Having, having a Cory Bush instead of a Clay is, Mm. it it is better for the left Mm. than, than if it was the opposite. Mm -hmm. You keep, so, it, it, as for 2022 and 2024, 2022, Find as many as many potential squad pickups as you can. That's that, that that's kind of a no brainer. Fight that's because more more numbers might encourage might encourage them to be a little bit more. I don't know. Bold, proactive, and bold, and mm. standing up to the Nazgul in Democratic leadership. Mm. And as 2024, find, find another, find another Bernie. And this time, this time, if our, our next Bernie gains a bona fide movement, don't abandon that. Use it to build infrastructure and (laughs) across the nation in every, every capacity. Mm-hmm. Find, use, use it as, use it as a tool to to foment strikes, mm-hmm. to 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 help out, help out activists. Don't be a don't be a capitulating coward like Bernie was. Don't don't cave in to to a to a man. Who embodies what you what we we're fighting against? 
know what I mean? So yes. you have, mm-hmm. you have um, if, if um, not, a, a movement is attained, mm-hmm. do not give that up because there's nothing more valuable. Movements can move mountains, drain oceans and fill them up again. Mm. So that's that's kind of my take. I don't abandon electoralism, but here's something else to keep in mind. This is an incontrovertible fact. Hundreds of millions of people are going to die because of climate change, no matter what we do. Mm. The permafrost in Siberia is melting, and there is more there is more carbon in that than there is all in the entire atmosphere. Mm-hmm. If that, if that completely melts, there's nothing there's find, find a, find something you love and just wait until the waves come. There's a glacier melting. There's a massive glacier melting in uh, Antarctica that if it does melt over the next few years, ensures that every coastal city is going to be so just just remember that given this we need to do we need bold action supra electoralism which is where i come in okay here is my idea i've tried for years to do it i've tried to reach you for years about it i've on twitter um I've tried to reach so many people on the left about what I want to achieve, what I want to do, and that is this. Popularize the concept of expropriation. Do you know what expropriation is? Who are we expropriating what from? Expropriate Cronky. Cronky? Stan Cronky, yes. Stan and Ann Walton Cronky. As we need a public pressure campaign. The billionaire businessman, owner of Cronky Sports and Entertainment, holding company owner for of the Los Arsenal. Rams. Yes, exactly. The Denver Nuggets and a European soccer club. So So why why them of all the rich people do we want to take their things? Their their money. Because there is strategic value to doing that in Missouri. There is no no figure more despised than Stan, than Stan in this state. Once, uh, once I was wearing a, I have an old Rams shirt and I wore it to the gym and an old white lady came up to me and said, down with Cronky. This is, this is a suburban <laughs> gym. And Using him as a villain could be a launching point for other people. It's not necessarily him as an individual, but well, what can I he ask you something, Steve? Why is this different than a kind of the idea of you know taxing the rich, you know, levying enormous taxes against the top percent? Mm, expropriation of 1%. is different from from a. Ta- taxation. Well, if you tax enough, appropriation is is taking the entirety of their ill-gotten fortune. And, and you think this will be more popular than a kind of tax the rich regime? I think it would. It would show 
just how easily all of the need and suffering in this country could be alleviated. I have some concerns that there are already, I mean, like it or not, there is this American belief that rich people worked hard. And while the idea of making them pay their quote unquote fair share of taxes is pretty popular, the idea of taking, you know, taking all of their wealth and property is going to present to some folks as un-American. But I, I appreciate the idea. I'd love to hear what other folks have to say about it. I appreciate you calling in. Today. I just got to get to the rest of the the line and, and get us a little bit back on topic. But I, I agree with you. Everything that you said about um, taking advantage of um, election cycles and that there might be some utility to picking up more progressives in midterms. I know that that is a controversial proposition among some folks on the left who are kind of over the idea of going for any more squad like figures. So I'd love to hear people weigh in on that as well. But thank you for calling in, Steve. Mm-hmm. I'll be All talking right. to you more. Say bye. Tom, you are the next caller. Unmute yourself and tell me what's on your mind. Hey, Bree, how you doing? Can you hear me? I can. All right. Well, thank you for doing this call in. And that was another great episode of the podcast. So thanks. Thank you. Uh, two quick points. So first, you know, don't necessarily want to disagree with the guests, but like maybe under normal times, it's a whole slow grind build a movement. Mm-hmm. We are way past normal times. So I mm-hmm. think, right, that possibility is stronger now and will continue to be as, you know, conditions degrade. But uh, as far as the within the party or outside the party, I say, why not both? Right. Mm-hmm. So like if uh, Nina Turner and Marianne Williamson were the ones that you had thrown out there, put Nina on the Democrat line because she's held office before, put Marianne on whichever line she wants to be. And then right when that question comes up, will you back the nominee? Sure. As long as they back, you know, $25 minimum wage, Medicare for all, Green New Deal, whatever it is. Right. And then play that primary how it plays. And then, right, assume the establishment rallies around Pete or whoever it is that they do. You give the, you know, imagine the speech that Bernie did where he endorses Biden. So you you tell him you're going to endorse their guy and then you get up there and say, no, you know, I'm running on a ticket with Marianne Williamson on this party. And then, right, because you would want to have done that third party work early to get ballot access everywhere. And, you know, versions of this pro act and stuff or not pro the we the people and all this shit where they're trying to cut third party ballot access. So the third party thing has got to move pretty quick. And so then you're kind of set up inside or outside, at least in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I see I'm a what is um. Sam Cedar likes to say this a lot. Uh, let every let every flower bloom. I'm a big fan of that <laughs> because this is none of us are really in the prediction game. None of us can really know which of these strategies are going to be effective. Like I'm, I'm 100 percent here for it. I'm here for it, friends. All right. Well, I mean, there we go. There's a lot of other good stuff said earlier, so I'll let other people go. But thanks again, Bri. Thank you, Tom. I appreciate you calling in. Jeremy, you're up next. Unmute yourself and tell me what's on your mind. Yes. Hey, how's it going there, uh, Bree? It's going well. What are you thinking about all this? Um, well, I don't know. Um, I uh, I spent some time working um, on uh, the Teach Out the uh, Woo uh, gubernatorial campaign back in fourteen. Mm. I jumped into the Justice Democrats and I got in with them. Um, I'm really actually a tech person, but uh, I you know spent some, you know I just really wanted to dedicate some time to it and. Um, I just, I just think that uh, you know, after listening to your podcast, um, 
you know, with Shawant and, uh, and and Hedges, I, and, and and many other podcasts. I mean, I, I just think that we we are not uh, looking at the success of the Justice Democrats, and I, I really think that the recipe exists. I think we really do know how to organize. I think we do know how to 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 pick. Uh, in my opinion, I don't think uh, the squad is the right pick. Obviously, and, and I think most most progressives at this point agree with me, probably. Um, but but I think that the um, the overall you know methodology is there. The uh, the way to go is is there. It's just um, that that the reason why I left the Justice Democrats is you know after speaking to the leadership over there, who I'm sure you know uh, at least fair, you know somewhat well, um, that they they were really all about the billionaires, and uh, it was very obvious early on, and it it, it I, I knew pretty quickly um, that it was time to go. Uh, because they were going to be um, co-opted, and so what do you mean it was all about? They were taking. I thought they didn't take billionaire money. Well, they did, they did, and 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 they're they're yeah, they they did, and they. I also communicated to them multiple times and asked them if they if they did, and they said uh, in the beginning they said they hadn't, but they were more than willing to. Uh, so. Mm. I, you know, I, I, you sound maybe doubtful about that, but no, I, don't no, know. I, could, I, I could probably show you. I could show you some Facebook posts about that. <laughs> so the so. Justice Democrats, as an organization, doesn't have any any um, stated prohibition against taking money from billionaires. No, no. In I, fact, I, I don't not believe you. I just yeah. didn't I know. Mean, in fact, didn't didn't even um, uh, you know the guy from uh, what's what's the gentleman's name from. Uh, the new, the third party um, that was what well, was was with you on the Bernie uh, campaign. Um, the gentleman from the third party that was uh, with me in the 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 People's Party. Oh, uh, Nick Brana. Nick Brana, right, right. He had come out and said also that, according to him, he had said that uh, Bernie had acquiesced to 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 Weaver, uh, and that Weaver had said that they would start to take money from PACs. Oh, that and, was that was um that was our revolution. Wasn't that okay. our revolution? I'm not sure because that, that that's why um, that's why he actually said that he he left uh, the Bernie campaign. I thought that was I, I I agree with you, but I think that was our revolution, not Justice okay. Democrats. Okay, but in any case, I don't want that to cloud my main point, which is that we I think we have the recipe. It's just that we we have to figure out how to take the the that want to take super PAC money and 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 you know and or oligarch money uh, or whatever combination thereof um, and, and take it you know make sure that there's a real pledge not to take it. And and really get something very concrete as to what uh, the people who who are who are brought into you know into the fray, uh, you know the polit- the potential prospective politicians will do in terms of uh, you know what they will sign on for. Obviously, you can't make it legally binding, but come up with some sort of um, some sort of agreement that uh, that somebody could sign at least at least for their you know at least for the organization for all the constituents that they that they represent a, a sort of a promise. As to you know, like they they will definitely be voting for uh, Medicare for all, and and they will, you know, they will, you know, or they will step down. Yeah, here's 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 the thing, and uh, both uh, Shama and I think Chris alluded to this, and I think it's a really important point. The issue with our revolution, just Democrats, uh, DSA candidates, all of it, is that none of those groups have any accountability mechanism to the people who run on those lines. That's correct. So we saw how the tail wagged the dog, you know, the the candidate should be the tail. The organization should be the dog, Yes. you know, but 
you know, AOC, you know, if AOC didn't want to do force the vote, then DSA leadership wasn't going to poll its members about they wanted to do. It was already decided. Right. We see this with the unions, too. And then leadership decided they didn't want to get involved. And that was the end of the conversation. Right. And this, I think, should be the backbone of any new if there's a new Justice Democrats that was that, that was, was to be formed, that should be the backbone of it. It should be literally the, the to get in to the whole entire organization should be about anti-corruption. Right. And, and the extant organizations, by the way, there are people in those groups that agree with us. Most people agree, you know, but, that, the, but somewhere along the line, the leadership. Right. So that's a question leader. of whether or not we get rid of leadership. So I don't like most DSAers. I'm a DSAer. We, we, you know, they would love for there to be some relationship between what DSA believes and what um, uh, AOC says. Like, I, I'm not, you know, some anti-AOC, you know, zealot, but she has made her mistakes. And, so, yes. you know, yes, like people do. And I would love well, I would, for I would their- go further. I would say she made deeper mistakes than just, you know, normal people would make. She made some pretty devastating mistakes, in my opinion. So there should be a relationship between her and the organization. So it's not like a bunch of YouTubers just saying, ah, it right. sucks. It would be nice if there was a relationship where the organization that she yeah. came out of could bring her in and say, hey, this is why this was wrong. This is how we think about these things. This is the history that we're drawing upon. This is the strategy that as an organization we've democratically uh, decided upon. And if you don't want to you know, go this route, then we can't back you as an organization. You are our candidate. That's right. Not the other way around. And so I, I don't just think everything has to be a new organization. There are so many good people in these organizations already. Like, how many freaking organizations can we start at this yeah, point? Yeah, but it like, just depends if the organization has been wasted, to, if it's if it's rotten to the core. I don't think it's rotten to the core. I think well, the most people on this call are probably DSA, and I don't think it's rotten to the core. When DSA did, mm-hmm. one one segment of DSA, the Medicare for All caucus or whatever it was, did put out a poll around force the vote, and the overwhelming majority of people wanted to wanted to force the vote like any it's not much you know it was only like 28 votes or something but whatever little glimmer of insight we get into what's going on with the average person and me- member of any of these organizations they seem to all be have their heads on straight it's only a leadership problem right, right. so yeah, yeah. but the issue is though is that i think that the dsa is not like justice democrats so they're not organized as well as the justice democrats were they or the, the well, justice, justice democrats, justice democrats and dsa very, are very two different, different things are, Justice Democrats that, isn't a membership organization the way the DSA yeah. is. Yep. It's true, just but, some people who are running candidates. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm just saying that the, that, that the, uh, the, the Justice Dems ran like a well-oiled machine. They, they, they ran like a marketing agency. They ran like a multi-million dollar marketing agency. And they, the, the, the people uh, you know, at the top there, you know, Zach Exley and, and uh, Chakrabarty and, and, and Corbin Trent, these people knew exactly what they were doing. They're, they're far more savvy than the people at the DSA, quite frankly, if I could be, if I could be so honest. I'm not sure in what way you mean that. Or in terms of success, in terms of, you know, just being able to quickly get identified candidates, market the candidates, get their, get their name out there, work on social media, uh, promote them. Uh, I mean, they, they had, they really, I think are just massively efficient at what they did. I mean, I think that they're more, they're, they're more in it for other reasons than just than, than, than pure pure democracy and representative democracy. But but I'm just saying from a from a functional business marketing psychological uh, overall perspective, they're just extremely effective. And I just think that that model may may need to be replicated one more time. I I'm, I'm not speaking about making. You what know, do you lots mean one more time? I'm a, I guess I'm a little confused. I don't know what the 
I don't know what the the justice Democrat model of, what, of, of picking a picking people from the community or wherever they pick them from, but 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 really vetting people, uh, getting getting a very large uh, uh, community of people all around the country uh, to to back these people and to to run them in in uh, you know city state or uh, you know uh, federal level elections uh, you know for for Congress uh, for you know for any any number of uh, uh, city state or federal positions. Well, they still exist and they're still doing that. The question is whether or not you can get buy-in from voters who are frustrated because the people that they have successfully put into but, office aren't accountable but, to anybody. That's but, that's the question. Well, no, the question but, is that I think is redoing it because they they exist, but they're not. They're, they, the leadership is not there. We need a we need a new leadership, so it needs to be done again because we can't get the leadership out. Thank you for that, Jeremy. I appreciate you I'm calling. Sorry, in. sorry to disappoint you with that. Thank you. No, I'm not disappointed. I just you know I don't. We, we, I think we disagree, but uh, that's that's the way it goes. I I, I mean I. Okay. Thank you for calling in. Thank you. Sylvester, you're up next. Go ahead and unmute yourself. Hey, Bray, how you doing? I'm doing well. How are you, Sylvester? I'm really, I'm feeling good. I'm getting a haircut right now, actually. Um, <laughs> are you really? <laughs> you know, yeah, I'm in, I'm in the shop as we speak. You know, it is barbershop talk right here, so let's, let's go ahead and get into it. <laughs> let's get into it. What's on your mind? So, you know, some always say with bad faith, you never know what you're going to get, but you always know you're going to get some good. Okay. <laughs> and this, this conversation, I really, I loved it just because of, uh, it was challenging. Mm. You challenge them. They challenge you a little bit. Mm. And, um, and tell me what you think about this, but I personally, I heard them giving a lot of like what to do's and the next steps, but I don't know if you, do you feel like, People on the left just don't like the answers that are being given in terms of like what the next steps are. Cause I'm, I'm listening to them and they're talking about, all right, next steps is that a lot of times like we organize a lot, a lot around electoral politics, but maybe we need to start organizing more around people's lives. If there's different labor movements going on in your city, go ahead and get involved and support that. Um, on, uh, on the more local level and things, whether it's, you know, in your city council, and not just dealing and interfacing with the city council, but also with the people whose lives are affected by um, decisions that are being made at the city level, um, organizing within, you know, getting involved with that, you know, PTAs and like different, like closer to home levels or around people's labor um, issues and going to your supermarket and asking the people that's working like, Hey, do you like how much you're getting paid? Do you want to get involved in something deeper? So I'm hearing solutions and next steps that they're offering, but it seems like they didn't really suffice for you and for a lot of people. Because that wasn't the question, Sylvester. The question was very specifically, what should people do with midterm elections and the presidential election in 2024? That's the question. So all of the advice is perfectly lovely and good and everyone should follow it in the long game and all of those things. And we've been done many, many episodes with many, many guests who've given that exact advice. And I hope everyone who is involved in the labor movement or who works in a workplace goes out and does that. Everybody who has kids can go and do their PTA thing and get involved and run for local office. I hope that many people do that. I truly hope I truly hope they do. But maybe it's selfish, but I'm not doing any of that. I don't have a kid. <laughs> no, but I don't that's live, also like, not true. I'm just trying to be honest. I'm just trying to be honest. Yeah. I'm asking a specific question from my perspective. And this is maybe a problem with bourgeois podcasters and all that. Compl- like, hit me, <laughs> at me, like, guilty as charged, whatever. 
I'm not doing that. I'm, I'm like telling you right now. I just had that conversation with um, Anna saying that I couldn't even knock on my, like I didn't even feel entitled enough to knock on my neighbor's door. And I'm not the only one that feels that way. I'm just trying to be really effing honest about human nature right. and how people work. And you can sit here on podcasts preaching to people about how they're going to do X, Y, and Z without even being specific enough to really make people feel like they can really do it, right? Even if it were more specific, it would, it would maybe make me more inclined to do it. But that is thought, and I think belonging to an organization like Social Alternative or DSA, whatever, they will make it more specific and make it easier for you to do that. So people should definitely take their advice and do that. However, mm-hmm. a thing that every single person is going to be thinking about and talking about <laughs> ad nauseum for the rest of this year, something that we don't need to yeah. publicize and get out there and, oh, my God, how are we going to get the mainstream media to talk about it? No, they're talking about it. It's the horse right. race. So you can say that the horse race is a small part of our greater movement. It's 50%, it's 40%, it's 30%, it's 15%. It's it. But it's a part. And both guests acknowledge that it's a part. And both guests said we should not sit it out. Great. Great. So what then should we do? That's the question. What should we not do in general? Not what should we do in the last of the next hundred years? And da, da, da. What do we do <laughs> about the election that's happening in 10 months? 10 months. And to, to that, weren't they saying that it's the type of, not just the candidate, but the type of races that people are running? So that specific candidates that are talking about specific, uh, you know, policy ideas that, and running, you know, opposed to the party. You know, like I, I, I'm saying that I heard them say specific things, but it didn't seem like that was what the answer that you were looking for. Because nobody, what specific things did you hear them say? specifically you know uh, you know Shama, she's always talking about like how she ran her campaign and how that it was organized around economics um of people because that's what affects people's everyday lives and then that allowed her to build the coalition and movement and energy necessary to beat the amazons and, and things and like that sylvester how does that inform your choice at the voting booth 10 months from now well then that goes to the candidate and the type of race that they're running because if you're having a candidate that's not running in line or in lockstep with the democratic party because like ultimately like we need to move people away from that and that's what we're talking about instead of funneling them into that place and saying like oh we're going to change it in between and they they acknowledge it's going to be hard you know it's going to be hard so that's what's the it what's what's the it like literally guys like i i feel like i'm taking crazy pills people are (laughs) i'm not asking them what's the slate of candidates that we should vote for like here's everybody running in midterms here's the ones that are dsa endorsed or Justice Democrats endorsed, go vote for them. Like, I don't need that. Like, I don't need to have a Pulitzer Prize winning journalist and America's best leftist politician to, <laughs> to ask them for a fucking list that I can get off the internet. Go to justicedemocrats.com, dsa.com, and tell me who to vote for in the fall. That's not what I'm asking. You know? That's not what I'm asking. What I'm asking is what the left strategy should be to midterms. I started this call with a clip of a bunch of CNN talking heads asking, oh, my God, is the left going to turn out for midterms? Well, gosh, it seems like there's an acknowledgement, even from corporate media, that Mm -hmm. Biden is fucked (laughs) and that he needs the left to come on board. What should the left do with that as an opportunity? Should the left make demands? We want to talk about labor. What's the point of labor? What's the point of unions? What value do labor have in an electoral context? Yes, we're talking about electoralism right now. If you don't want to talk about electoralism, that is your right. I respect that. Leave. Leave. 
listen to something else. But right now, today, we're going to take another. We're going to take an hour and a, or two to talk about electoralism. I hope it doesn't make anybody's like you know union lanyard just like fall off their neck. And, you union know, like, like we can do both things, guys. So no, we're, we're, we need to do both things. So we're talking about electoralism. What what yeah. what opportunities are presented by the left right now to the left right now? Because the Democrats are so desperate. The the value that that unions brought to the table was they they could direct an enormous volume of people to vote this way or that way. Vote this way or that way. Okay. In okay. addition to labor strikes, obviously, there was the ability for them to yeah. say, we're gonna vote unions are voting for Democrats. Okay. Now, that's an organization. That's something you can do when you have an organization that you're connected to and you can control them one way or the other. Now, we are all sitting here on these podcasts day after day lamenting the fact that we don't have organizations of that sort and that size. It's terrible. We're working on it. It's tough stuff. Drat. Okay. <laughs> Since we can't re, re, you know, breathe new life into the union movement in the next 10 months or the next two years, we're not going to get 33% union density whatever it was at America's peak in the next two years. Although, uh, inshallah, we should try. What do we do instead? Okay, well, are there other... I just want to have a conversation. Are there other, other, other... Are there other organizations? Are there other ways to get people to join in and collectively decide that they are going to withhold their vote, for instance, in exchange for something specific that Joe Biden could do? Whether it's you know, ramping up these mass production or making the vaccine free overseas or canceling student debt or, you know, whatever it is that he can do with executive order, the emergency um, Medicare expansion thing, you know, whatever he can do. Like that is a little bit, maybe this is selfish. Maybe I already had an idea in my head and that there wasn't, it didn't seem space, for, uh, didn't seem like there was space for those kinds of conversations. And so I, I became frustrated, mm-hmm. but like I, I, I promise you, like, I understand that there's the audience, they, they think they're talking to a bigger audience that doesn't know X, Y, or Z. I'm assuming that I'm talking to an audience who has been listening to this podcast. And the audience that has been listening to this podcast knows, and I, I maybe I'm wrong, but I'm also the audience. I have to listen to all these interviews. I have to listen to them twice because I got to edit them. I got to listen to the edits. And I, I, I promise you, I don't need to be told one more effing time. How low unit density is, how hard it is, how we got to organize. I get it. But I'm also, I, I, I want to know what I, Brianna Joy Gray, can do. And I, I'm sitting here in my studio apartment, and I, 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 my, I don't have a workforce. I'm self-employed, and our producer wanted to be an independent contractor, so that's what he is. You know, so, like, that, you, just, that advice doesn't do anything for me. No, but I think that you you've expressed specifically like what it is that you bring to the movement because everybody plays different roles. Like you're like I'm a podcaster. I have these conversations. I help bring these issues more to the light, and that's the role I'm gonna play. I'm not gonna be knocking on the doors. I'm not gonna be doing certain things like that's and and that's well fine and well intentioned. That ain't no problem with that. So I think you've already marked out your lane in terms of how you want to impact the movement, and you're doing a great job of doing it. But so like on the flip side, the question I would ask you. Is that since we're talking about electoralism, everybody leave. You don't want to talk about it. <laughs> what would be your like ideal outcome that's realistic in your opinion coming out of 2022? Let's just talk about 2022 because it's it's here. Okay, what would be your your best ideal outcome coming out of it realistically? Honestly, and this might be fantasy talk, and I would love for someone to engage with me about whether or not this is fantasy talk. I would love to see a new party 
in this moment formed so that people cannot just say, I'm going to withhold my vote or something, but that they can commit themselves to an ideological framework that shows that their votes are gettable if someone were to concede to those notions. So the story about um, Ralph Nader saying, here's a list of 20 demands to Al Gore. I'll drop out if you do three of them. And Al Gore was like, no. And then we all know what happened. You know, I would love a world where people said, I'm not doing this. I, I, it's not, you know, when I don't vote for Biden, when I don't vote for, you know, whoever it is, when I don't vote for whatever Republican in the midterm or whatever neoliberal Democrat in the midterm, it's because I am expressing a preference for something in the alternative that's concrete. And it is the blankety blank party. And to get people's frustration, all of the frustration they're going to be feeling around midterm season and that sense of disaffectation to be channeled, to, to weaponize that, to exploit that moment that people are going to be thinking about politics and thinking about how ill-served they are by both parties, to use midterms as an opportunity to start preparing people to look out for a different kind of ballot line, a different name on the ballot line, a, a different party institution on the ballot line. That, that was, okay. is my dream. And in addition to, you know, you can vote for whatever handful of progressives are running here, there, and elsewhere. Like, I'm not, I'm not opposed to that. Yeah. Although I do think it's a problem that there's no accountability for those yeah. folks either. Okay. So, okay. So I, I hear that and to challenge you a little bit, right? Because mm-hmm. something that you keep saying, I, I'm glad that you keep highlighting it. We keep acting like we have all this time, right? Right. We keep acting like, oh yeah, you know, we got the years to like 2020, 2022, 2024 with the climate crisis, like, you know, descending down upon us and, in real, in, you know, in reality, if certain things don't happen in a certain amount of time, then like all of this is just us talking and you yeah. know keeping busy, and not being bored, right? So that says, okay, that calls for more drastic measures. That might mean a little, a little knocking on the door from time to time, not all the time, maybe on the weekends and things like that. No, I'm not right. saying that me in my individual yeah. capacity doesn't make phone right. calls. Or like that. I'm just saying I am not. Every I feel like I live in a world. I'm sorry. Now it's just me doing a therapy session, but it's like I feel like half the world is always like you're not an organizer, and the other half of the world is like why aren't you an organizer? And I'm like, can I live? Like there are organizations. We don't need everyone to start their own little 5013C. Like that's not it. Like there are groups. I joined the group. I joined Social Alternative. Like and it was not easy. It's not like DSA where you just have to like sign your name to you know like give them twenty bucks and you're in. Like the the. The social alternative, I had to like meet like once a week for like months and do readings and attend. Before they let you into the yes. club? <laughs> you know, like I, I did what I could do. From, they didn't even have a DC chapter. I joined the New York Central Brooklyn chapter. You know, mm. I, I like, you know, but I don't, at the end of the day, like I'm in this role and people can think it's not the most important role and the most important part of things. No, but I'm just trying to there. do like I know that I have much more ability to affect things in this role than I do at, at spending the exact same amount of time knocking on a given door. And that's just to say those things are mutually exclusive. But I want to make sure I'm maximizing my benefit, uh, you know, my 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 ability. Right. And I and I want the it doesn't seem we don't have a think tank. We don't have all of these things. We don't have people plotting and scheming for the left. And so to the extent that I have the bandwidth to plot and scheme, I want to plot and scheme. And I want to know why it is that we're not plotting and scheming around what is going to be the most newsworthy event of the next year. And why CNN is asking the question of what's the left going to do in midterms 
And the left's not asking the question, what's the left going to do in midterms? And and I hear all that. All that is valid. This is your therapy session, so you get some of this stuff off your chest. And, and you, again, you're just I, like, I want to do more, right? But, and I think they, they kept on kind of pointing to it. It's going to take sacrifice. And then when you when you think about what has more of an impact in terms of like right here, right today, and it's not that we discount electoralism and everything like that, um, but what will have more impact is like our labor. That's all they really care about. You see how they're like capitulating themselves to make it so that we have to keep on working through all the different things with the pandemic that we're dealing with. So, you know, I... Well, but also they're not doing that though, you know, Sylvester, like nobody wants to do, you, you saw how half the left like wet their pamper over the general strike live stream. It was just a live stream talking about that it. Internet stuff, man, that's people talking about, that's not everyday people, like no disrespect. They're not like tap into that. Like I, like no, you talking ev- about the fourth. Yeah. Everyday people have never heard of a general strike. Like this is this is my problem. Like to me, the value of a general strike live stream of of all the lefty podcasters or whatever, whatever like pathetic, impotent infrastructure we do have talking about it is because I I have never heard. I went to seven years of school. I don't think I ever heard the words general strike in my life into the last couple right. of years. I didn't hear it since like this past year. So yeah, yeah. so if yeah. I've never heard, people don't know. I'm not saying that I wouldn't know. I mean, I'm sure people in unions and stuff are much more familiar than I. You know, I'm not saying my experience is paramount, mm. but like. There's obvious utility in just talking about this as a possibility. Historical examples. Mm -hmm. I I learned about French 68 and all this shit through my socialist or alternative reading. I never learned about any of that in school. (laughs) Like, seriously, like I I, I will own my ignorance, whatever, because as ignorant as I am, I know I'm not alone. So everything that I'm doing, everything that I'm saying is coming from the basis of like what's mobilizing me, what's informing me, what's what's radicalizing me, because I think that there's probably some value in that for other people as well. So if what get you more inspired? If people yeah. are so if if I don't know this and I found this to be so moving, why aren't we talking about it? Okay, let's talk about a general strike. Let's do a general strike summit so that we can just familiarize people with the idea of how they can, you know, affect politics by withholding their labor. Oh well, so and so million follower YouTuber on the left doesn't like that <laughs> because whatever reason I don't know it just it doesn't make him feel good inside. I don't. I can never begin to understand that. <laughs> So like, uh, and so, uh, you know, and so it doesn't get the platform that it needs or that it should have. And so you're telling me organized. That's what Shama was pointing to. Sorry. I'm sorry. No. Oh, no. But I was saying that Shama, Shama was pointing it to it too in terms of like, you know, I remember at the end of the podcast, you're just like, yo, I feel hella pessimistic. Like what the hell are we going to do? You know? But then on the flip side, what she was saying is that I feel very optimistic because I see what's growing and what's growing within specifically labor is something that can galvanize and that we can organize and build around. Not that it's going to necessarily get us to where we want day one, because a lot of people have to, for like historical context, um, a lot of things, like during the 60s, civil rights movement, a lot of stuff they did didn't work. You know, there was times when Mm -hmm. King got arrested and he was trying to get attention and stuff and it didn't mm-hmm. hit the letter to Birmingham jail. Initially, no one gave a hell about it, right? But it wasn't until a uh, protest down the line when they started beating on the kids and water hosing people mm-hmm. that they circled back to that. And they were just like, ah, oh, boom, and it clicked, you know? So it's going to have to get a lot more aggressive. And, like, obviously, there's an electoralism part of it that we have to discuss. But, but like, also the electoralism can be aggressive. Like, can I tell you? 
the thing that made the libs mad is to me, the reason that I'm reviled and hated is because I just said, I'm not, you know, maybe people shouldn't vote for Biden. Okay, so you don't, don't, like, people are, like, acting like, half the comments on YouTube, some of you guys, I swear to God, I really have to be above it all, but the thing, the, the, the comments that I type out and then delete, <laughs> the way that I read some of you guys that does this with the dumb shit that you read in the comments, okay, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I obviously need to talk to a human being today, which I haven't done. God, God help let's my poor let's date. Get, let's get it out before the date. Too. We don't want you projecting on your face. Okay, so let's get it out. God, God bless this man. Oh man, is he in for it? Okay, no. So, um, the, the to me, it's like everyone wants to be like, oh, radical this and radical that. Like, where are all of these? Where were the squad members? Where were people online are accusing me of like, you just want to work within the Democratic Party? You're a lib. Like, okay, I was the only one. What's sticking her neck out here talking about don't vote for Joe Biden? You know, like mm-hmm. this is bullshit. Like, and, and that, is, that is the thing they come down on you for because at the end of the day, that is like the fundamental glue that's keeping their whole project together. And none of these people will say it. Half the left won't say it. Half the left will sit there. Jimmy Dore is right about this. I'm sorry. Half the left will sit there for two years telling you how terrible the Democrats are and how terrible Nancy Pelosi is and blah, 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 blah. And then at the end of the day, David Dole and all of them, I don't really know him. Sorry, I don't mean to like shots fired or anything. But we'll, we'll get on their little YouTube camera and say, but go ahead and vote for Joe Biden. <laughs> you know, Trump at Trump is going to end democracy. Like, I, like, so don't, t- don't, cu- I, I, I often, when I say that I feel like the most radical person in the room and that's so stupid because I'm a bourgeois hack, like, <laughs> that is what I'm talking about. Like, uh, Ajamu Baraka got on my DMs after I said that on a previous podcast and he was like, LOL, you're the most radical person in the room. I was like, Ajamu, like, I know it's ridiculous. I know it's ridiculous. But this is how I'd be feeling sometimes because of, you know, like, to me, the tension points are obvious because I feel so exposed. I say something and I feel the Twitter horde come at me and I'm like, oh, this is what they're sensitive about. Obviously, we should keep doing this. And it just is so frustrating to me when some, when, when, I don't know, that insight is ignored or minimized or downplayed or, you know, or somehow seen as in conflict with doing other kinds of things. Yes, I think labor is important. That's why we should be, here's what I would love to see. They're like a handful of labor leaders that we have, we have their trust, you know, like they're, they're with us ostensibly, we think, you know, I, I really want to talk to Sarah Nelson about why, why the airline industry, you know, why the flight attendant unit hasn't just brought the country to its knees already. I want to ask Sarah Nelson, how much money would you need in a bank account to go on strike? Because yeah. I will help you raise it. <laughs> Those conversations that we should be. And even when people talk about, I don't even think it's like union. Like it doesn't take a union to go talk to somebody who works at Stater Brothers and like, you know, and like talk to like, you know, say, hey, can I talk to you and your coworkers? I want to see how y'all doing. I want to see if y'all are happy with y'all working conditions. I want to know if this is enough or you got to work two, three jobs to do what it is that you got to do. But I, I'm wondering, I just I guess I kind of wonder from you, like, is there a lack of openness to like getting to the conclusion that like us working on their timeline, which is like organizing around electoral uh, politics? Um, and not say that we shouldn't do it. I'm not saying that either. But us working on their timeline under like with their game under their rules doesn't fit the timeline that we know that we're under right now. So why should we organize around their timeline instead of 
organizing around everyday people's lives. Like, I don't know if there's like, because it seems like whenever someone kind of tells you to get away from it, there's like, like, nah, 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 we got to because that's what they're talking about. But that's what they're talking about. Like, should we keep on going to what they're talking about or try to change the narrative to what we should be talking about to t- take away attention from that? Because even progressives, too. What they're doing does not work for the timeline that we have. So, yeah, look, I, I've said this before, Sylvester, and I should move on because I got to get out of here. But like 620 because okay, yeah, I got to I got to put makeup that's on. Good. But look, the, the reality is um, if I said this about climate, I don't know that I want to do another climate episode. That's not about blowing shit up because like <laughs> it's ridiculous at this point. I'm not going to sit around here mopey face with a bunch of, you know, oh, it's so terrible. And the polar bears, yeah. you know. And we're not like not doing anything. Oh, what are we gonna do? Well, let's we'll see if Joe Biden will listen to the sunrise kids. Like, like that's over. Like, uh, why are we pretending? At a certain point, we are ops. Like, we are we are providing let's cover. Pretending, yes. For them, by pretending any of this is gonna work. You know, give me a wrench and and fly them to North Dakota at this point because that's that's what it's gonna be. <laughs> Sorry, this is what's gonna get me arrested. They're gonna kick me out of that. But thank you, Sylvester. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Get them to the next caller. Go All right. Call. Okay. Take thank care. you. Okay, Zeke, you're up. We're <laughs> gonna do a rapid. You take care. Okay, Zeke, we're gonna do rapid fire. I'm. Oh, right, no problem. What up, Bree? What What up, Zeke? What's on your Not mind? Not much. Uh, this about to be a bougie PMC and go grab a drink at Soho House in a minute. So. Okay, um, I hear that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, so, I'm sorry. <laughs> Well, I know rap, rapid fire because it would be respectful for everyone else behind me. Um, so you're, I, I think the same way you think, like, what is, what are we actually going to do and actually be not, not sit on our hands on the left? So I think this is the perfect time for someone like Marianne to be on the offensive mm-hmm. and actually announce in 2022 that she plans to run mm-hmm. outside of the Democratic Party. I think this is the perfect momentum because Biden's old, unpopular Kamala can't stop putting her foot in her mouth <laughs> and Mayor Pete is incredibly unpopular as well. So like mm-hmm. they're, they have no one to really stand up against a real third party candidate, big momentum. And then we see the Republicans are always um, campaigning, right? DeSantis is campaigning, Trump's campaigning, but no one on the left is truly campaigning. And Marianne this week has gotten a lot of great press, mm-hmm. which I don't remember her getting good press in 2019 and 2020. But she's getting positive press now. So I think to your your question, like what should we what we should do is definitely be on the offensive, announce now, create our own timeline on the left and be outside of the Democratic Party. I, I I'm with it. I'm with you. I hear that. I think I would like to do that as well. But there is a part of me that's a little like I don't want to throw Marianne to the wolves either. I I I I want the left to be prepared. I guess this is part of my project. If someone like Chris Hedges, someone like Shama Swan would not be supportive of Marianne and would be out here making statements against Marianne, then I would I want to know what the alternative person is that they would prefer. And if that person is actually going to run, because if that person is going to run, then I might agree with them with some you know moderate critique of Marianne or whatever they say. But if she's the one, I'm going to protect her at all costs. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And and, no. and work hard to make sure that it's she's not having to fight the left and the center. I think that's going to happen either way, right? Because, like, she's going to be not pure enough for the left. And for the Democrats, she's going to be too radical, right? So if you announce now in 2022, you get ahead of all that, and you can really start what I think, um, while I was listening to This Is a Revolution podcast, she could really start laying out what does a left platform look like and what is, like, a left America structurally, like, what is, how does it work, right? Like, what's the left's response to COVID? What's the left's response to schooling? Because we don't have a thing like how to take care of kids, right? What's the left's response to the military? 
If she yeah. starts laying her platform now, two years ahead of time, she can really get a lot of momentum and get a, get a, ahead of that negative stuff because I think she could own like Kamala in a, a debate. I think she could own Mayor Pete in a debate. And her platforms are stronger than theirs. And if we could start now, we could start raising money, which is a big one of the biggest hurdles, right? Yeah, I, I think we're agreeing. I'm just saying that I I think that people like Shama and Chris, I would want them to be a part of the policy drafting process, the mm-hmm. platform drafting process. So she doesn't announce and she's not out here and then everyone has all these criticisms, but no one was really helping her to inform her 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 platform the way that someone like Bernie who's been in the Senate forever and who already has a team can kind of come into it fully formed. I think it can be very difficult for candidates. I mean, we saw what just happened to Andrew Yang. Maybe you think he's just an evil guy. I don't know. Maybe. But when I asked him about um, those Israel comments during the mayoral race, he basically admitted, like, I was told by my team I had to say this to win in New York, and I'm just not that good at these issues, and I was wrong. You know? And I don't want... I don't want a left candidate to be who's like not as experienced or like um, politics tested as Bernie to be in those kind of situations and make a bunch of dumb faux pas up front that is going to lose the trust of the left, rightfully so. You know, but I would rather they just avoid all of that if it really is an issue of ignorance as opposed to being a bad faith actor. No, I understand. I mean, I grew up in New York and uh, and Yang is just uh, he. <laughs> He seemed inauthentic, and then and the faux pas has really uh, torpedoed him. But we ended up with Eric Adams, who's even worse. So Correct. <laughs> Correct. Reaping, sowing, et cetera, memes. Thank you, Zeke. I'm going to move on to Patrick, but thanks for calling. Enjoy. Thank you. What's up, Pat? Unmute yourself. Little microphone button on the bottom right, Patrick. There you go. But I still can't hear you for some reason, even though you're unmuted. Are you speaking, Patrick? It's funny because my Twitter just brought up an account called uh, Star Trek Midas Context that I follow. And there's a big picture of Patrick Stewart in the middle of what looks like a dance move uh, with the title, It's the Weekend Baby. I can't hear you, Pat, so I'm going to go on to the next caller. Allende, how you doing? Unmute yourself and tell me what's on your mind right quick. Hello. Okay. So um, real quick. Um so I love your podcast and one of the things that like I love about it is the fact that you you're like I feel like you're a lot more open to um ideas than or like solutions than a lot of other leftists that I see not to you know not to put them down but one way that I see like 2022 like the main focus in my mind electorally should be promoting candidates that are for ranked choice voting we're always complaining about the fact there's no other option no other option no other option right and like ranked choice voting is the easiest thing we can possibly do because like you don't even need in many of these cases you don't need a federal law it's at the state level a lot smaller states where dollars go a lot farther um you can do you can do it by um by ballot initiative Mm -hmm. and i feel like the ford party in this in this scenario is a big part like I think it gets a lot of bad rap because of Andrew Yang, because of, but like, and the way that he goes about reasoning through these things. But a lot of it is concern of where the Ford party is going to go five years from now, in which it's kind of irrelevant if you're only looking at 2022. Like, you don't need this big, like, policy, like, these policy subscriptions, yada, yada, yada. You just need to get 
like some sort of foothold rank choice wise in states that um have more that in states that have a bigger media apparatus so that you can like actually create some type of third party whatever it could be green whatever it may be and in terms of like um presidential um i actually think that one way that we could that one way that we could actually get a lot out of Biden in this case, if he does run again, in the case that he does run again, and someone, let's say someone like Marianne runs, right? Or someone mm-hmm. like Nina Turner, the number one thing that they need to do, right? And this is, this is one of Bernie's like greatest like critiques I have of him. It's ask for something that is purely executive action, mm-hmm. right? Not $15 minimum wage, mm-hmm. executive action only. Mm-hmm. And straight up say that if he doesn't do it, point blank, you're, you're running third party, I don't care. Right. Yeah. And like, he, he has no choice in that option. He will either lose. Right. Or he'll have to do the, or he'll have to um, do the um, executive action. And if he loses strictly because he doesn't do the executive action, like that's, that's gold. I, that's- I, I'm so with you. Like, this is such an important point. I'm so glad you're bringing this up. People are always like, Oh, if you run third party, then you're a spoiler and they blame you for the election. Part of that is true. Part of that is a messaging failure. Because if you set up a priority, if you set up in advance that the the choice is of the winning candidate, the choice is on Biden, the choice is on whomever it is, to concede to your demand, which is a popular demand. This is the yeah. same thing we're talking about with force of vote. I'm not saying, like, go, uh, you know, ex- expropriate this owner of Arsenal. I'm not saying, you know... Um, make, I don't know, whatever niche thing that I really like that other people don't really like. But the most popular things, and also to your point, something that's by executive order so they can't beg off of it. And in fact, I would even maybe jumble something that's a little bit not executive order, but needs to be highlighted. Like make, make Biden say in a national stage, you know, as Bernie was dropping out, he could have said, instead of endorsing him in like five days, I will only endorse Joe Biden if he finally meets the needs of the American people who overwhelmingly support whatever it is, $50 minimum wage, all the stuff that's not executive order. And can also, I, can, he I say cancels- one, can I say one executive order that like should be it, period? What is it's it? It's the one, it's the one where um, you can expand Medicare to people who, like, yeah, like that, that one, like period, just let that be it. And if he doesn't do it, it's on him. Like he 100%. Says, he said specifically the fastest way to get everyone healthcare, yada yada bullshit. The fastest way to do it is through like a public option using Obamacare. No, the fastest way actually was like to use executive action and give Medicare to everyone right now, period, which is something he can do. Let that be the executive, the, the at least one of the executive orders actions you ask him or you demand from him. And that that's like that is it's not quite Bernie's Medicare for all, but you get the point. Like that's a I'm very big step. I'm here with it, Ayende. I'm 100% here with it. I'm 100% here with it. I mean, I, I may also, we should have a conversation about whether we want to throw some other things on there because it, yeah. it kills me also that medical debt isn't discussed more when it so, costs so little money to cancel, like to pay for it. It's not canceling. Like and I'd like to say, like, I, I'm like one of the most, like, in my friend group and in my family, I'm the most, like, politically aware person that there is. I can tell you Fox News like talking points, like as they're saying it, I can tell you what they're about to say. I can convince people not to vote for Democrats. Right. But the Mm. biggest issue that I have is like, 
as soon as they as soon as they say that they're not going to vote for a Democrat, it's I'm not going to vote at all. Or it's right. like I'm tuning it out in which like you need to be able to you need to be able to both convince someone that this is not sustainable. This is not going to happen. And there's like an affirmative action that they can take. And the, what I and the reason why I always say like ranked choice voting is something that like any leftist should start and end like their their little bit on is because like it, it's a way to channel that frustration into something instead of tuning it out. I 100 percent agree with you. I think you're right also about the emphasis on ranked choice voting. It's part of why I got to say that the forward stuff was resonating with me because they seem to have identified the prongs of approach that I would identify if I also were going to start a party, regardless of all the other things you said, start and end. That makes me feel I end a comfortable ending with you at six twenty. I was like a little, little bit going to end with Todd, but I want Todd and Haitian um, Jacobin and Dr. Whomever and the rest of you. I see you. I hear you in the parlance of our democratic party leadership. <laughs> I see you. I don't hear you. Um, but I appreciate you all being in the queue. We got through a lot of people. This was a big group. I'm really excited about that. If you haven't already, go over to the YouTube video, watch it, like it, help us beat the algorithm. We put, a, you know, I you know, this is a little strenuous, a little stressful. I had to binge eat some popcorn after this. You know, I had to decompress. So, you know, help play it forward by, you know, and appreciate this content by liking it and sharing it and helping us beat the algorithm. Um, follow this so you, you know, here on Colin, so you know when I do these future episodes. I'm working out the time of day that I'm doing them. Obviously, it depends on whatever else I've got going on. Um, if you're not already a subscriber, would love for you to do that at patreon.com slash badfaithpodcast. I feel like I have to say that too. And as always, thank you and keep the faith. <laughs>